0: What's up, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Cash Clarity. I'm your host, Abby Nergerman, and I am so happy that you're listening today. In this episode, I'm sharing the seven steps for breaking through money mindset barriers and attracting more wealth. I chose this topic because even if there are no external factors causing money problems, some of us still struggle with hopping over that invisible barrier to financial freedom and wealth. For whatever reason, there's a peak and a plateau, and it can't be blamed on inflation alone. What we all want is to sleep soundly at night, not worrying about paying bills or if we're ever going to retire. Depending on the article we read, about 50% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And you might assume that those people are mostly low-income earners. However, This problem extends to middle and high income earners too. Oftentimes, high income earners such as doctors or lawyers tend to feel a subconscious need to spend more money to reinforce their reputation as being successful in their field. But what you don't see is that they also have credit card debt and don't have an emergency fund. For those struggling with the invisible money barrier to financial bliss, it never seems to matter how much money they are earning. The money problems just follow along wherever they go, just like in that case of the doctor or the lawyer that I just gave you. Someone in these shoes might say to me, Abby, it is what it is. Or, Abby, I know I make some mistakes here and there, but I'll make enough money in the future to make up for it. Or... They may feel like if they just work a little harder and make a little extra, that's going to change the name of the game. Americans shouldn't have to think or feel like they're stuck. Sometimes, now, not always, addressing a money mindset problem is the fix that's needed. So how do you shift your money mindset? I have seven steps for you. And the first one is accept where you are right now. We all develop and suffer from certain money beliefs, biases, and behaviors that are developed based on our family history and how we approach money decisions. So consider how the past may have influenced your current mindset. Then release yourself from that blame. Maybe you've made money mistakes for three lifetimes. Go ahead and forgive yourself. Recognize that from this point forward, you can control the present even if it seems insurmountable. Your future is still unwritten. So that's step number one, accept where you are right now. Step number two is identify any money biases or beliefs that you may have. And I have a few of the most common money mindset myths here in this episode, and I'm going to go over those real quick. So the first one is, Receiving money is either greedy or selfish, and the mantra that we often hear is, it's better to give than to receive. I know I was told this multiple times as as a kid, during Christmas time. (laughs) So giving is good, don't get me wrong, please continue to be generous, generous. but overgiving could cause you an easily avoided hardship that you could just skip altogether. So I have a a little exercise that I want to go through with you. Now, close your eyes and imagine. Well, if you're driving, please don't close your eyes. <laughs> but close your eyes and imagine what you would do if you had one extra dollar per week. What would you do with that money? After you've thought of a few things that you might do with an extra dollar, let's up that to $10. What would you do with 10 extra dollars per week? Now, I want you to think about what you would do with an extra $100 per week. It should be starting to get a little bit more interesting. You should be getting a little bit more creative on the things that you want to use that money for. Now, think of what you would do with an extra $1,000. And think what you would do if you had an extra $10,000 per week. What would you do if you had $100,000 extra per week? Was that interesting? Did your mind come up with with ideas of things that you could do with all that money? You know, down in the $1, $10 extra a week, your lifestyle probably didn't change too much. In the 100 to $1,000 range, you're probably starting to get creative and, and think of ways that you could improve your lifestyle either by adding something to it or paying down debt. And then once you get to the, like $10,000 range, $100,000 range, at least for myself, that's where something switches. It, there's a tipping point in there where I stop thinking about myself and my family and what we could do and use that money for. And I start thinking about the things I'm going to do for others. I'm going to help my family or my brothers pay off any loans that they might have. Or I'm going to start giving a lot to charity. Or I'm going to start a, a foundation or a, a nonprofit. You know, lots of different things. So, Once you kind of figure out that that there's a shift that happens from making one level of money and it grows exponentially and what you could do with that to be helping others, then you really start to recognize that money isn't about being greedy or selfish. There's so much potential that you could have with money to giving and improving the lives of others if you are open to receiving more. On top of this exercise... I want you to start thinking about practice practicing daily gratitudes that reinforce the receiving of money. Like, I'm so grateful that I can afford food to nourish myself and my family. Or I'm grateful to live in a good, safe neighborhood, or I'm grateful grateful for a reliable vehicle so I can drive to work or school or the store or the doctor. Think about this money exercise of adding one zero to whatever you're making per week, and then also practice those daily gratitudes of the simple things in life that others aren't as fortunate to have. Now, the second money bias that is common for people to struggle with is they might say, I've never been good with money. Now, we've all made mistakes. It's a fact of life. For example, I've invested in different marketing strategies or ads in my business that never had any payoff. Yeah, I was bummed that I was out that money, but I haven't let it stop me from trying again or trying something different. So the good news here is that the problem isn't permanent and money skills can be learned and developed over time. You're not forever doomed to be bad with money. And the best place to start is to simply check each of your account balances every day. Go into your online banking portal, check your checking account, your savings account. If you have any credit cards, see how much you have on those balances. Get in the habit of checking those every day. And that will help you build a habit around looking at money. You'll start feeling more confident about looking at it. You'll feel more informed and it'll just kind of snowball. You'll be more likely to go and learn other things and maybe start budgeting or putting a financial plan together. So that was the second money bias. The third money bias is some people tell themselves that I'm, I'm just unlucky. Sure, some of us have won that what Warren Buffett calls the ovarian lottery. And what he means by that is one's circumstances of birth is a predictor of financial outcome in adulthood. We know that children born into broken families or chaotic circumstances are less likely to become wealthy versus children who are born to a stable, intact family, but it's not a rule or a guarantee. Our brains are hardwired to look for things that we pay attention to. It's called the RAS or the reticular activating system. So if you're convinced that you're unlucky, your brain isn't looking for those wealth building opportunities that might be right in front of you. You can make your own luck if you're looking for it. Now, the last money bias I want to go over is that People often think that wealthy people are crooks. They didn't get all that money by doing it the honest, the right way. So yes, there are some wealthy crooks out there, but there is just as many, if not more, poor crooks. Accumulating wealth does not automatically make you a crook. How good or bad of a person you are is unrelated to how much money is in your bank account. Money is a tool, nothing more. It means that people have a means to exchange value without having to barter goats or cucumbers, in which case I'd be completely in a boat without a paddle because I have neither a goat farm or cucumber farm. And I want to give you an example, uh, something to think about. So my four-year-old, she can take a wooden spoon and turn it into many things. She can imagine it's a magic wand like she's Queen Elsa of Arendelle, or she can bang it on a pot or pan to make a drum, which she does have a flair for performance, or she can help make dinner by stirring some food, or she could whack her sister with it. I think we can agree that the spoon itself isn't good or bad. It can be used for good or bad purposes, and the same is true for money. you know, Instead of using money for something bad, you can always use it for something good. That was the fourth and final bias. And let me just recap those once again. So the first one was receiving money is greedy or selfish. The second one is I've never been good with money. The third one is I'm just unlucky. And the fourth was wealthy people are crooks. Remember, this is not a comprehensive list, an exhaustive list of all the money biases you could have. These are just examples of four of the most common. So now I want to move on to step number three. And remember, I have seven steps, so we're almost halfway there. Reflect on how you learned those biases. Though we'd like to deny it, the fact remains that what drives our behavior is instinctive reaction to pain or pleasure not intellectual calculation. So think through those past financial experiences and how your biases may have influenced your choices. Write them down if you need to. What kept you from making a better choice or what seduced you into making a poor choice? For example, maybe you keep putting off saving for your kid's college and instead buy a new iPhone every year. So once you've reflected on your past financial decisions and maybe why they didn't work out the way you wanted to and how those biases maybe played a factor into it, then write down what it'll cost you if you don't change your behavior. So going back to the example where you don't save for college and you buy a new iPhone, the the fallout could be that your kid can't go to college because they don't have the money or means to do so or maybe they have to borrow soul-crushing student loans and we all know that these days college is getting really expensive and students that graduate are under tremendous amount of debt that was step number three really taking time to reflect on how you learned those bad money biases okay step number four is decide that money is abundant and not scarce Now remember, every feeling that you have, good or bad, is based on your interpretation of what things mean. So a person with a scarcity mindset believes there is a finite amount of money to go around versus a person with an abundance mindset, it believes that there is plenty for everyone. So if you learned from step number three that your biases uh, have led you to a scarcity mindset, you'll need to retrain your brain and it's completely doable it's not impossible to do so the first thing that you need to do is visualize making good money choices and then once you've thought those through in detail maybe talked it out and you know added color to it like it's a movie all the sounds the sights the feelings of what happens when you make those good money choices then reaffirm really affirm that with a pleasurable thought like money allows me to provide for my family. So do that over and over and over again until it feels really, really good. And then I want you to do the vice versa as well. Visualize making a bad money choice and reaffirm that with a painful thought like, I'm setting up my kids to make these same mistakes because I'm setting a bad example. If you couldn't tell from the, this example Family is a big motivator for myself. So it was easy for me to throw that in there as an example. But for you, it might be something different. Get creative with whatever your pleasurable affirmation will be and whatever your painful affirmation might be to help you retrain that brain. So step number four was decide that money is abundant and not scarce. Then step number five is to make goals for your future. You want to set specific goals with a specific time frame in mind. For example, a goal could be I will save 5% of all of my paychecks toward retirement, and I will retire at the age of 65. That's an example of a really specific goal with a specific time frame. And then the next step is to identify the steps that you need to take, but be flexible. So, continuing the retirement example, you could sign up for automatic deductions if you have an employer-sponsored retirement plan, or you can set up an automatic transfer from your bank account. The next part of making goals for you future involve reviewing them often to see if you're on the right track. This is where it really pays off to be flexible, you know, kind of test the waters and see if you need to make a change. So going back to the retirement example, you could check your 401k balance once a month and maybe increase your contribution as needed if it doesn't look like you're going to be able to hit that retired age 65 goal. And then the last part of this, and this is the part that is most often uh, skipped by people, and this is to routinely visualize yourself meeting those goals. So for example, imagine your retirement party. Picture all the new hobbies that you've always wanted to try. Visualize the places that you want to visit or, you know, imagine being able to say yes every time you're asked to babysit your grandkids. I know in my future scenario I have grandkids because I picture my kids having kids but you know that's their choice. <laughs> I digress. Studies have shown over and over that people that are most successful at meeting their goals are reviewing them regularly and they're also doing deep visualization exercises around them. So they journal, they meditate, and they really think deeply on their goals and how they're going to meet them. And this is goes back to the reticular activating system, the RAS that I talked about earlier in the episode. So these goal setters are constantly thinking about fulfilling their goal, what it feels like to feel their fulfill their goal, what it looks like to fulfill their goal, how that impacts the others in their lives if they fulfill their goal. And so they're always on the lookout for Meeting these goals. So when opportunities come up, their brain is on notice, aware, looking for those things that would help them meet their goal, maybe meet their goal a little bit faster. So that's step number five make goals for your future. Step number six is commit to learning. So people who lack financial literacy often become scared or emotional about financial decisions. And as a result, they don't do anything to actively manage their finances. So this is where you want to listen to a podcast like Cash Clarity, shameless plug, or maybe they read books or watch tutorials about budgeting, money management, and financial planning. Or you could assault your financially savvy friend with questions on what they did and and how they did it to get where they're at. And then you really want to attack one Topic at a time as you're committing to learning. So, you want to get comfortable with one idea and concept and then move on to the next topic. So, for example, you'll start by learning about taxes, then you'll move into budgeting, then insurance and retirement planning and college savings, etc. etc. The world of finance is extremely broad and there's lots of avenues to go down and explore and learn about. But, you know, the ones that I I just mentioned here are good ones to start with. Understanding your tax obligations, learning how to budget. That's really going to set you up and and lay a good um, framework for, for moving forward. So step number six is commit to learning. And then the last step, step number seven, is align your spending with your core life values. If living healthy is really important to you, then spend your money on healthy foods or gym memberships, instead of streaming services and Twinkies. If adventure is really important to you, then save money for big trips, instead of buying a new car every few years. Or if education is really important, then save up for college, instead of signing up for competitive sports, this is going to be different for everyone. Some people really value spending time with others and don't mind spending lots of money on dining out, but they won't buy a new shirt for years at a time versus other people who really value self-expression. They'll want to update their wardrobe every season, but they're only going to go out to eat with friends once or twice a month. So Know what you value and don't compare yourself to others because it really runs the gamut. And then don't feel guilty because yours is different from anybody else, whether you're looking at your family or your friends or maybe even your spouse. That was all seven steps to breaking through those money barriers. To refresh you one last time, step number one is accept where you are right now. Step number two is identifying any money bias that you might have. Step number three, reflect on how you learned those biases. Step four, decide that money is abundant and not scarce. Step five, make goals for your future. Step six, commit to learning. and Step seven, align your spending with your core life values. Now I want you to review each of these seven steps and complete at least one of the exercises that we talked about throughout the episode. If you don't, you'll continue to make the same money choices that you always have, which could mean staying stuck and feeling like you can never break through to financial peace of mind. However, obtaining an abundance money mindset will result in your financial freedom, which means not worrying about paying bills or being mystified by where all the money went, or beating yourself up over money mistakes. Now that we're in the episode, you should understand that the past doesn't guarantee your future, and that you can feel confident knowing you can change your financial course today. I hope you come back for the next episode because I'm reviewing the four rules that every business owner needs to know about deducting expenses on their taxes. Knowing this could save you lots and lots of money. So thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show where you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to be featured in a listener shout out in a future Cash Clarity episode, please leave a review on iTunes. Until next time.